Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside other co-host, Mr. Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. Joe, spring, I would say, is in the air, but it's actually like cotton and pollen are in the air right now. How are things on your side of the world? You know what's funny is I usually get everything. I get hay fever. Tree pollen doesn't bother me. So everybody else is drooling and sniffling and eyes are watering and I feel good. So all is good. Things are busy. Um, but I think we're going to spring right past spring, right into summer here in the old Midwest. I think they're saying a record of 98, maybe a hundred tomorrow, but no humidity, right? Well, no, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's there. We don't, it's not like we're going to the beach or nothing like that. We're just going to sit um and be in misery but the funniest thing is you guys i can still hear my office chair squeaking but for some reason my office is 55 degrees so it's 80 upstairs i come down here and i got to put a freaking flannel on to sit here and do a podcast tonight so i guess i shit and bitch if i get warm i'll come down to the office but everything is good um weeks flying by we got a, an amazing guest on tonight. We're going to follow in, in our forestry track, do a little more traditional forestry. Um, a good friend of ours and a good friend of mine, Hillary Wells, is going to jump on in a little bit. We're going to talk more traditional forestry. And maybe, maybe she can just answer where dirt foresters come from, that term. So she might know. Um, Hillary? Welcome to the to podcast. Thank you for having me back. I guess I didn't screw up too bad last time. <laughs> well, you know, no, you were great. You were great. <laughs> like, like, so, we, yes, um, like we, we should have had you earlier. Yeah, like we were talking about before, you you were one of one of the guests that we had when we had MSU on uh, the the traditional forestry group. Some of the work that our producer did made it sound like the Jerry Springer show with all those beefs. So. We'll, we'll tone it down a little bit today, but it, it, it really is good to see you back and good to be back on the podcast with you. Yeah, happy to be back. Yeah, so I wrote down some ideas, but every time I write down ideas, we kind of, we kind of uh, veer off. But when we talk about forestry, like I said, Corey and I are urban foresters, and you are, would be considered a traditional forester. So Correct. let's start off with a little bit about yourself, born and raised, obviously in Michigan. Yep. Um, it was, was MSU and forestry your first choice right out of high school? This is what you wanted to do? So actually, it's funny. I was looking at Michigan Tech first. Um, my brother had gone there. And when we had visited, I fell in love with the UP, but then I didn't being from Southwest Michigan, I didn't want to move 10 hours away from home. So then MSU became a logical choice, but I actually applied and got accepted for zoology. And then I saw how much math you had to have and everything else. And I was looking through the other majors in the College of Ag and I saw forestry, did a little bit of research. I was like, okay, this seems more like a fit for what I want to do. And I switched at my orientation and was forestry the rest of the time. 
So, really? yeah. so from your freshman year at orientation, you said, you know what? Right turn forestry. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, no regrets? No, none. Is school was a pain in the butt. I'm not going to lie. You pay a lot of money to be stressed out, but it got me to where I am now and I'm really happy. So yeah, I hate to we, say uh, stress is worth it, but I guess it kind of was. We, uh, we've, we've talked about stresses and a-holes. Um, they're everywhere. You can't really get away from it. So you really can't you blame one thing or another. We, we talked about, um, we had a couple podcasts. We talked about, you know, career changes and all that. And no matter where you go, you bump into a-holes and oh, there's yeah. always going to be some degree of stress. But, um, well, <laughs> we're glad you went that direction. <laughs> so, which brings us up to, so. Well, I, go yeah, ahead, I, I do have a question, Hillary. So, so you, you studied traditional forestry. Your day-to-day is a traditional forester. So please tell us, tell the listeners, what exactly do you do? So I have a really unique position. I am the hydro operations forester for Consumers Energy, which is the largest utility in the state of Michigan. Um, And within hydro, we have 13 hydroelectric dams and close to 20,000 acres associated surrounding the impoundments and everything and the ponds for those dams so i manage all the timber natural resources recreation sites and stuff that consumers energy owns around those hydroelectric dams so you're 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 clearing trail or you're setting up timber harvests or what a little bit of everything honestly um we've got a ton of red pine red pine is my bread and butter because when consumers energy originally purchased the property back at the turn of the century it had all been clear cut like everything else and was fallow farmland and so they between 1920 and the 1940s they planted like 25 million trees um so and i'm getting to the point now where i can manage a lot of that for utility poles for our utility so it's kind of fun 100 years after the fact i'm creating a product for the company i work for so yeah that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty cool, because yeah. you know I'm a big history buff. Oh, I am. I am too. We we love yeah. that together. <laughs> oh my god, and I love it. And um, that is that is amazing. That you know, you guys are now reaping the benefits of someone's forethought a hundred years ago um, mm-hmm. to plant. A, what kind of what kind of timber are you harvesting for utility poles? Red pine, red pine in Michigan. Um, we've got probably close to 10,000 acres of just plantation red pine. Wow. So, yeah, I think behind the state of Michigan and maybe a couple, maybe one other company up in the UP, we own the most red pine in the state. And but I'm the one that takes care of it. Now that they're all coming time to harvest. Mm-hmm. Now, is there multi-aged forests? Obviously, throughout that 20-year program, they've had to have like I said, but what I'm reason I'm getting to is that now they all mature to the point where you're going to harvest. You can't get them all at the same time. So is that part of your responsibility to tag what's ready to be harvested and what's not? Yeah. So about 300 to 400 acres per year come up for harvest. And it's my decision. So like early in the year, January, February, I go into these stands that are in the book that we have 
that say, hey, this one should be ready for harvest. I go in and kind of make an assessment and say, okay, this one has a big pocket of dead stuff and it's all really mature stuff. Maybe it's time to clear cut it and start it over again. Or, hey, we could do a row thinning in this one, or we could do just a light thinning, take out some poles. Basically, any style of harvest I want to do, I'm it's left up to my discretion. And it's really cool because I, like I said, I'm the one person in a company of about 9,000 people that has this job. And I manage all this property basically by myself. So it's a lot of really cool freedom to be trusted with that responsibility. Do you really do it all by yourself? I do. I had an intern for 12 weeks last year. That's it. <laughs> That's pretty badass. That's quite the responsibility. <laughs> yeah. I just think that when I, we met, <laughs> part of the, it goes back to meeting Ryan. Zimmerman. Oh, <laughs> and I, were you with him the time that we met at a trade show in Pittsburgh? No, I had missed that one. I was back up at school, um, but I did hear a lot of the stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like so, Ryan thought a big storm front was coming in and it was a mountain. I don't, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. But, um, <laughs> wow. So I got, we got to know you at the, from the forestry club and it's been amazing ever since oh, I still yeah. try to keep in contact with Michigan state as much as I can. Like I said, um, I'm not sure if you knew Jerry wall, uh, Jerry wall was one of the arborists on campus. I uh, He's, I think we had worked with the tree crew guys and then um, who was the main guy in charge of everything? Paul. Paul Schwartz. Um, yes, Paul Schwartz. Thank you. Well, we know Paul Schwartz a while ago. last year. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, so we, we, we mostly worked with Paul when we were working the stuff on campus. So you probably worked with Jerry, but Jer Paul retired last year. Now Jerry Wall is a campus arborist. Gotcha. So I get to go out there tomorrow. Fun. Yeah, woo. Do a tree walk in the hundred degree weather. Ooh, yeah. I have to teach toddlers about trees tomorrow, actually. Really? So I was invited to speak at the local preschool by a friend of mine who's a teacher there. So yeah. Like I kind of do a lot of sorts of weird stuff. I do it all. <laughs> well, you gotta start them young. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think I think you're, there's more to that, Corey, than you really believe. We talked about it, we kind of laugh about it, but um, I had like, like you taught, you're going to be teaching a bunch of little kids about trees. I had my, my wife, Laura still plays soccer and she's amazing. And one of her, um, teammates, daughters in high school, uh, called me and asked me seven questions about forestry, urban forestry, and how to get in the job. And one of the questions she had, she had was, you know, what is your biggest hurdle? And my biggest hurdle was nobody knows about forestry as a career until Hillary, like you got, you didn't know about it until you got to college. Yeah. Yeah. So and maybe you are planting a seed. I hope so. And I think maybe cause I live more like Northern mid to Northern Michigan, maybe it's more known up here, but I think definitely like downstate urban centers, nobody knows about it. So. Yeah. I, um, I made the connection with um, I'm on the board of directors and I'm the committee chair for Michigan tree climbing championship. I finally got a contact for Michigan tech. Nice. Michigan tech is a beautiful, amazing school, but nobody South of what you call them trolls or nobody South of yeah. the bridge <laughs> knows about Michigan tech. It's an amazing uh, uh, college. So they are starting an urban forestry program. Yep. 
and they will be coming down uh, to be more involved with myself and the sawmill and all that fun stuff. So it's kind of, I think you're right. We need to find a better way to uh, let the younger generations know that this is an amazing um, profession and maybe guide them along the way. And it may start with picking apples with the kids or Mm -hmm. talking how an apple grows or Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, I have always kind of been the one, even when I used to work for the DNR, we would do a lot of like fire outreach with Smokey Bear and stuff. And so I would always volunteer to do that. I like teaching little kids stuff about this. Were you ever Smokey Bear? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. It was fun. It was nice in the winter. It sucked at the air show in the summer. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So graduation. Um, mm-hmm. What year did you graduate? How long have we known each other? You've been out for five or six uh, years. It was spring 2015. I did a victory lap. <laughs> I was supposed to be 14, years. but I did 15. Seven so. years. Mm-hmm. But probably, yeah, I probably know you 10, 11 years now. At least, yeah. Wow. So graduation, yeah. first job. Your first job was with the DNR, correct? Yes and no, actually. So my last semester, I was part-time and I actually worked for Davy Resource Group for a couple months. I was working for them full-time and going to school part-time and commuting back and forth from Battle Creek to East Lansing. (laughs) Little known that I actually started as a utility forester and made my way back to it. So, and then, yeah, I was there for a couple months got an offer with the DNR out of the Gaylord office for a forest technician position and the forest technician position it's like half forester half fire officer um so then I we moved up there and got yeah I was there for almost exactly three years and then I moved to consumers so yeah so you were on fire yep yep did you have any forest fires you had to put out or was it just more control burn both. Um, Michigan's not too crazy when it comes to wildfires. We have maybe one every couple of years that gets decent size. Um, but, you know, we'd run on a lot of small stuff like people's leaves catching fire and then going off. But we did like we do a lot of control burns. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. now your career, now you're now you're at consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wanted to I wanted to hit hit you up a little bit about a woman in a male dominated career. And now that you're kind of an individual forester for a company when it's only you, mm-hmm. um, how was it with the DNR? How, have you ever had instances where you felt that it just wasn't fair because you were a woman in this? I was actually told I was a token hire at one point. Um, I think that would qualify. <laughs> yeah so they when I was hired on as a forest technician there that was like a newly created position again that they had introduced and I was in the first round of people to get hired in that new position and the first woman to be hired in that new position and it was me and like five or six men and one of the men made a comment that oh you're just a token hire wow yeah, wow, and was, I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with my experience as an intern with a DNR degree in forest conservation. So it's just, it was very frustrating. But I mean, I grew up with two older brothers and eight male cousins. 
So being around guys was really nothing different for me. I actually played racket football. So I was the, I was the first girl at our school to play racket football. <laughs> so being actually, around guys was nothing new to me. <laughs> and like, it goes back to what we say. There's obviously there's assholes. Yeah. <laughs> no matter where we go. And I just wanted to bring that up because uh, Heidi Fry, you know, Heidi Fry, right? Yep. Yep. Heidi's amazing. And we brought her on during uh, women history month as a, a podcast guest and we had a big conversation about that and in her background sounds a lot like your background where hey whatever this is what i'm going to do she's got strong skin um you persevere you earn the respect and you know people leave you alone but it's hard to believe that in 2022 that women still have to um hear comments like that and yeah why guys feel it's male bravado to to pick on someone uh, to make themselves feel better. Yeah, it was definitely kind of a boys club certain days. And you do have to have tough skin, but at the same time, you just, you, there's a line you have to draw. Like, yeah, tough skin. But if somebody's harassing you, speak up for yourself, you know? Oh, yeah, you, so, you have to. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of brings me to my next question. Um, did When you were in class, so we talked about, Corey and I were talking about we brought up dendrology and silviculture and all these other fun parts of forestry. Mm-hmm. Was there one, was there any one class that you took at MSU that really stood out that in a professor that really stood out that helped you in what you're doing today? Is there someone that you're like, wow, this is what I was, this is what I learned in school. And this is the teacher that taught it. And now I'm doing it. So my favorite class had to be forest pests and disease and it was a two-part class with dr dennis fulbright and dr deb mccullough so she did dr mccullough she did the first half on insects and dr fulbright the second half on disease and it was during our last semester that we took it and it kind of brought everything together as far as silviculture and virology and insects and disease all together because I mean there's so many different levels and different ways you can manage things but with increased commerce and trade and stuff insect disease and forestry is like a huge facet of it now so we were able to kind of learn how to mitigate for those insects and diseases and that was kind of something I was really interested in anyway I worked for Dr. Fulbright Fulbright for a couple years on campus And then when I worked with the DNR, I was able to work with the forest health team quite a bit. So, and now I'm able, like I said, if there's an issue, I kind of manage it myself or reach out to others that I know have skills like with you and Ash and things like that. So yeah, two amazing professors that you gave a shout out to. I still do a lot of work with Deb. Yeah, she's awesome. Dennis, unfortunately, passed away um, during 2020. Yeah, but he was a huge influence. Yeah. So. Uh, Corey, just so you're aware, uh, Dr. Dennis Fulbright was really big in the American beach. Is it the American beach? Chestnut. Chestnut. Oh, big into reintroducing chestnut. And he was internationally known for that. And he was an yep. amazing guy and fun to work with. And it's, it's sad to lose someone like that. He had such a positive effect on so many students and people around mm-hmm. the world. But um. What a legacy, though, that that he left the impact on you, Hillary, and, and a number of other students to where you're still taking that motivation or that inspiration with you in your day to day. I mean, mm-hmm. 
how much more did you ask for? That's pretty exactly. And I'm still good friends with people I met through working with him to this day too. So he, yes, he was a huge impact on me. I miss him a lot. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I didn't do much with him, but I knew him really well because we started working together on some uh, evergreen diseases mm -hmm. uh, together. And then um, uh, when he passed, it took a while for they hired somebody. Mm -hmm. Then they hired uh, Monique Sacalitas. I'm not sure if you ever met her yet. Yeah, yo, she's awesome. Yeah, worked with her quite a bit on yeah. Oakville stuff. So. Oakville. Yeah, oh, yeah, Oakville. We didn't oh, get yeah. to spend time with Oakville with you. That yeah. might have to be our next time we meet up. Yeah, I mean, I got a perfect example right in my backyard, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Was, was that oak wilt from the trees that you had taken down? Yeah. So our neighbors, we're kind of, we're on a private street and our neighbors all the way around us own like 400, 600 acres, something ridiculous like that. Mm -hmm. And they had a timber sale done. And unfortunately, oak wilt was brought in and it's kind of spread throughout the entire neighborhood, or if you want to call it a neighborhood. Um, but the issue was, is these two big oak trees are right on like the hill down to the riverbank because we live on the Clam River. Yeah. And it's on the other side is a big open field, like farm fields for miles. So the wind would just come ripping at these trees from across the fields up the river and right at our house. Wow. And so I was just getting nervous. It's like these two dead trees are going to fall on my house. I just put a brand new steel roof on. This is, <laughs> like, this is go. a bad situation. So, but let, thank you for hooking me up. They did great work. So, <laughs> yeah, those are some amazing arborists. Uh, and they want to, yep. they're going to probably be on the podcast one day, Good. too. Um, yeah, they were really nice guys. Shout out. Um, Jeremiah and Jack are two young arborists that, Corey, very similar to us, are always asking the question, well, why are you doing it that way? Why <laughs> would you do it that way? Does it just seem like it would be better if we did it this way? So they're, they're questioning big arb and they're questioning the way we do things is it just for the money or is it for the value of the trees so are really a good uh, couple of guys mm -hmm. well, and we need we need more like that we need more mindsets like that and i think as as both industries kind of co-evolve and they really do ping back and forth uh, i mean you talk about one insect or one disease ripping through a stand well it can do that through a community so it, it's been really interesting to hear uh, the conversation tonight, and I'm, I'm really blessed to be part of it. And I, I do want to go because we only have a couple minutes left on our on our recording time. I do want to go back to Joe's first question: What is dirt forestry? How did it get the name? Because uh, it's the boots on the ground. You're getting covered in dirt and bug spray and insects and whatever else is thrown it in your face and your feet. Um, you're the one out working the land covering every acre of property that you have to cover so a lot of my time this time of year i'm walking up and down rows of red pine with my earbuds in marking trees with paint deciding what stays and what goes so yeah they're yeah boots on the ground dirt forester field forester it's yeah it's that's where it gets the name you're the ones that are always stinky so do you <laughs> get good reception out there so you're probably listening to the discovering forestry podcast while you're marking yeah, I do a lot of driving, so you guys are in my ears a lot. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> just to leave you with, um, so what do the trees have to look forward to from you in the future? What does what does forestry look like for you? For me, for me, I'd like to see as much diversity 
on the landscape as we can kind of returning to a better more mixed landscape it's hard because there's definitely need in the market for certain products but i feel like we're losing so much due to insects and disease and everything coming in that we need to increase that diversity yeah monoculture is not a good thing yeah so we'll see i mean and I am all about making it last for generations. I mean, I've got a daughter now and I want her to enjoy it just like I did when I was her age. So just making it last. Well, that, that's a great point. And, if, and I, know, I know you can talk to your daughter whenever you want, but if, <laughs> if you could leave her a lasting piece of advice or something that you really wanted to hit home with her, whether it relates to forestry or not, what would that be? Oh, that's a deep one to end on, man. Um, (laughs) I I mean, it's got to go along the lines of nothing is permanent. Because we had talked earlier about stress and people being a-holes and everything. Nothing's permanent. Every situation is temporary and you get through it. It might almost kill you, but you'll get through it. And that's something I've had to learn. So like it's tough, tough days at school, tough days at work, but you get through it. Nothing's permanent. And enjoy it while you can too. Yeah, I, I, I can honestly tell that I see that you enjoy being outside, working with the trees. And I think um, Consumers is lucky to have you. We're lucky to have you. Um, Thanks so much. Keep up the great work, Hillary. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I enjoy what I do and I hope it shows. It, it definitely does. <laughs> so if you see any big trees out there, cool ones, get some pictures, send them our way. Absolutely. I've got a bunch of white pine. So I'll show you some cool old white pine. Perfect. Thanks, Hillary. Yeah, thank you. You bet. Hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing Signing out. out.